a year after that in February, I was on a job site and I fainted. I saw that kinesiologist and he's like, look man, there's something really wrong with you. Man, by the end of it, yeah, they found a 140 mil tumour in the back inside my spine. As soon as I discharged, I just went back straight into that hole and yeah, unfortunately I fell back into addiction. You know, I ended up stupidly taking drug drugs in ICU and I had a drug overdose in ICU. Wow. Nah, as an addict, you lie. You lie about everything as it, like, I'm actually getting goosebumps of how much I used to lie. The fact of the surgery was, you know, it's going to go for about six hours and, you know, it should be, like I said, straightforward. No dramas. Nine hours later, I come out of surgery completely paralysed from my chest down, so T4. And from that day to today, I haven't had any physical recovery. He told me it was December. He's like, mate, you're paralysed. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you've got spinal cord injury. I'm like, what? Well, I just sued the bloke in court and still, till this day, I have no idea why I'm in a wheelchair. Hey folks, my name's uh, Lenny Redrose, I'm the Smiling Cripple. Uh, I've been in the chair for just over six years now and it's been a, it's been a massive, obviously, uh, learning curve and a massive journey with uh, some real good achievements, some massive lows and some, uh, some real funny moments as well. Firstly, just off the name, you're not inviting people to call you a cripple, right? It's no. just how you describe yourself. 100%, yeah. So it was something that – so I went to the, the uh, trademark people and I was – you know, wanted to trademark smile and cripples, and they came back with a, you know, why? I said, I'm a cripple and I smile. Like, I want to change that, you know, the negative thing about people seeing, you know, cripple with someone that should be upset, sad, emotional, not able to do anything other than just, you know, be disabled. Um, and I was like, no, nah, I, w- I really want to change it and, you know, just put the smiling in front of it, which is something that I do nonstop. So it was like, I think it was just perfect for that. Just get straight into it. I hate the word cripple. <laughs> um, I, I got bullied by getting called a cripple. Do you think by giving – and I'm like, mate, you can call yourself whatever you want, and I love this. And this is a really funny, interesting thing to get around disability because there's some words people really own, like cripple, and some people might not like it. Um, do you think you're kind of inviting people to call everybody cripples because you say it, or do you think you have the right to say own it because it's your disability but that doesn't give everyone the right to say it? How do you – how do you distinguish between that? I think it's individual because in the, the day, if someone, let's say, is a redhead, you go call them a ranger, that might take offence, they might not. But if it's something that they do themselves, like, for instance, I do that about myself and I don't mind, not that a random person will say, hey, cripple, how are you going? It's just more amongst my friends or people around, like, not to to fear the word or to look at it in a negative way. But it's all, I think it's very individual, just like anything else in this world that we do. Six years ago, yep. uh, you are involved in... An accident? Surgery. So how did you need surgery? Was You had lower back pain? Correct, yeah. So in the Army 2014, while I was serving, I had um, I had chest pain radiating to the back and I really didn't know what it was. And my uh, my boss at the time was like, you know, did what, what happened? Did you, you know, hurt yourself or whatnot? I said, nah, man, like every time I sneeze and cough, I get, it absolutely kills me. So I went and had some scans done and then nothing was really found in those scans. And roughly about a year later, I discharged. And then a year after that, in February, I was on a job site and I fainted. And the pain started to come back slowly, slowly, slowly. And, you know, it just got progressively worse. But within that period, I was just like, I went and saw like a chiropractor, I went and saw naturopaths, I went and saw a kinesiologist. And it was, yeah, nothing was really found until um, I saw that kinesiologist and he's like, look, man, there's something really wrong with you. 
And at that point, I was abusing drugs. I was a, I was an ice addict at the time. I was like, oh, maybe it's the drugs. Like, mate, this is not drug related. This is something a bit more severe and internal. I was like, oh, okay, guys, you need to go and get an MRI. I was like, no drama. So, you know, it took me a few days to get an MRI, but by the end of it, yeah, they found a 140-mil tumour in the back uh, inside my spine. How does being in the army and being an ice addict coexist? <laughs> what was that? What was no, that it doesn't. Like? No, no, it was – so I – it was for that period that I was in defence, obviously, that wasn't uh, happening. It was just – I discharged and I just fell back into my old ways of, yeah, I was – like I struggled with drugs beforehand – um, I joined that it served its purpose. I got clean. I stayed really healthy, positive. I was working hard. I was on overseas trips. Life was fantastic. As soon as I discharged, I just went back straight into that hole. And yeah, unfortunately, I fell back into uh, into addiction. Were you forced to discharge? Did you choose the discharge? Why did you make that choice to exit the army? Um, my time, my time was up. So it was it was a matter of just yeah. It was either go up north to Darwin and do um, my next post in there, or was get out. And I was like, you know what. I'd rather just get out and... Did you think your sobriety of, you know, 12 months, wherever long you were in the service for, was going to be enough to get you on the right path? Did you fear once you discharged the service um, clean and sober at that time that you were going to relapse into using drugs? Honestly, um, what I've realised now that I've been clean for four years is I was running from the situation. I was never actually trying to uh, understand why I was an addict prior. It was, yeah, once I was... Back in my own world, freedom, I guess, you know, not being controlled by, or not controlled, but being in the army or military. And uh, when I got back into the, the normal world, let's say, it was like, oh, yep, yeah, just, it just slipped back into it. We ask about the drugs because there's a question that I think Dylan and I chatting about this before the interview are really interested in is, uh, and we'll, of course, go back onto the surgery, but you had to have pain medication, morphine. Endone, all of these, I, I'm, I'm just guessing, but, you know, it would have had to be medications as someone who's an addict post-surgery just to deal with the pain, let alone antibiotics, all of that stuff. Yep. So how is that for you? Like how do you deal as an addict being given drugs and how do this, does our medical system handle that? Do, I, do you do it under supervision? Like how does that work? Medication? Yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously before I even had my surgery, I had told my surgeon that I was an ice addict. Um, I, told anaesthet- the anaesthet- I told everybody, whoever I had to speak to pre-surgery, I told about my, um, my addiction. Once I got um, out of surgery, it was like ketamine, morphine, IV, and then all the other, you know, tablets that we were taking. And I ended up stupidly... Um, taking drugs while I was in ICU and I had a drug overdose in ICU. Wow. But, yeah, more it was once I was on the prescriptions and I discharged from hospital and rehab and all that, it was um, a fact of I want to I get clean, I want to get off all this stuff, which is what I've been – like it took me three and a half years to get off Lyrica. I was on like 600 milligrams a day um, with 600 milligrams of Tepentadol, which is like a tablet morphine, which is an extremely high dose. But, yeah, it took me three and a half years to get – off the Lyrica and um, pretty much off the Tepentadol as well. I don't think we've ever spoken to someone with who's been a drug addict <clears throat> with disability. It's it interesting because medic- medication is part of Dylan's every, every day. Yeah, 100%. You know? When did you learn to be so upfront, even talking to your doctors at that point, about your addiction? Was that a journey over time or because I know, yeah. let's just say, we, we know each other, we're mates. So you're yeah. a pretty upfront guy, which, which we like about you. So were you always like that through the process of, being an addict, or did that take time to per, to progress out? Nah, as an addict, you lie. You lie about everything. As it like, like I'm actually getting goosebumps of how much I used to lie. I would lie. The, oh, the sky's purple, and I'll you know make you believe that the sky's purple. 
But the thing with me, I've got ADHD, pretty severe ADHD. So when I would, and ice was my addiction. When I do ice, I actually used to like slow down and calm down. So people would be like, oh, see, now, now you're sober. I'm like, mate, I'm high as a kite. You wouldn't, like, you wouldn't pick when I'm on drugs or off drugs. It was more when I would take, uh, when I drink alcohol, I'd become like a raging lunatic. And then the drugs would, you know, would, would calm me down. So no, it, it, my thing to myself was when I started doing the trans, like in the chair, so f- for a year and a half, two years, I still used while I was in the chair. And as that started to come to a change, I was like, I can't keep, I can't keep doing this. Like I'm not getting better. My bowel routine, I was sitting on a tour for five or six hours. And that's not easy, you know what I mean? Like that, that's mind-numbing. So then it was a, a fact of I made this clear-cut choice in my own mind. I said, no more lying. Regardless of what it's going to do, if it's going to hurt you, him, that person, that person, too bad. You've done the dirt. Now you've got to deal with it. And that was just something that I really wanted to do. I, I, yeah, I hated lying. Thanks for being so vulnerable and open about this stuff, mate, because I know it's obviously yeah, hard, hard to talk about it. So when you went into that, you know, I know we can't talk holistically about the surgery and all that as much as you can. So you um, realised that it wasn't to do with your addiction and coming off the drugs, that the, the pain that you were feeling. So talk us yep. through the process of deciding to have an operation and what happened to the extent that you're allowed to say it. Yeah. So look, with my surgery, honestly, I was, when I, when I got there um, and my surgeon called me through and I walked in and he's like, who's this? I'm like, I'm Lenny. He's like, mate, you shouldn't be walking. I'm like, I've illegally parked my car. Can we hurry up? Like there was no, I wasn't taking anything serious. And then the way he explained it was, you know, quite straightforward. And, you know, I did ask for other avenues other than surgery and they were um, spoken about. However, he said, it's not really something that's proven. You know, surgery is the way to go. And then the fact of the surgery was, you know, it goes going to go for about six hours and, you know, it should be, you know, like I said, straightforward. No dramas. Nine hours later, I come out of surgery completely uh, paralysed from uh, my chest down, so T4. And from that day to today, I haven't had any physical recovery. Obviously, mental, all the rest of that's good. As things kind of, um, you know, progress post-surgery and we were asking questions you know, to the surgeon, what happened? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, I don't know. And then from that appointment that we had, my dad's like, mate, there's something not right here. Like, you know, you walked in and you've come out and you've got no recovery. It's, you know, eight, nine months post-surgery now. Yeah, from there we were able to go and get some advice from other surgeons. And then we found out that he wasn't being as honest as he said he was being. And from there we were able to, we were able to get, you know, a whole lot of evidence against him the radiologist, she actually missed the tumour in my scans that were in the MRI 2014. So the tumour is actually visible there, but she, for whatever reason, didn't um, didn't actually see it. Right. The so doc- 2014 doc- was when it could have been seen, but what, when did you get surgery? 2016. So two years of growth. Yeah. yeah. The um, the doctor's name wasn't Dr. Nick Riviera from The Simpsons, was it, by any chance? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so... Six years in a chair, how long did it take to come to terms? It's always an interesting question of people, like Dylan's always been a mm. guy who goes, don't go and learn to walk, just... Yeah, definitely. Dylan talks about loves the penguin walk. It's like, you know, I'm ended up waiting for you at the end of the hallway. <laughs> how long did it take for you to come to the realisation that, you know, chair is life? Life. Or, not life, that's not fair, but chair yeah, is yeah. transport. Yeah, yeah. So, honestly, it was 13 months post-surgery when I saw one of the surgeons who was giving me a second opinion and I gave... And I literally blanked out the surgeon's name and the hospital's name. I said, here, read this and tell me if it's what I've got. And my discharge report didn't describe this. Uh, so I heard from him. He told me uh, it was December. 
He's like, mate, um, you're paralyzed. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you've got spinal cord injury. I'm like, what? And that was the first time. I, and it was probably a really, really good day because, you know, leading up to that, you know, you're trying to find a cure. What's wrong with me? What's this? What's that? And it was, yeah, it was a, it was a big day in my mental recovery uh, to start. So, yeah, maybe probably around, yeah, 13 months type thing. What was the dude saying to you for 13 months about what was going on? Well, I just sued the bloke in court and still till this day, I have no idea why I'm in a wheelchair. Wild. What? Yeah. Yeah, we've, you know, we've, we've compensated you. However, we don't take ownership of what's happened. We had Jimmy Jan on a couple of months back. Uh, he was in a skiing accident yeah. um, and he spoke about if he could go back, he would um, to not having a spinal cord injury from his accident on the slopes. It had been when we recorded the interview, like literally just less than a year. Uh, and the reason that he said he's like, it's too close for me. Like yeah, okay. I know I've lived 20, I think 22 or 23 years of my life, able-bodied, yep. a year in my chair, I'd go back. If posed with that same question, would you go back to being able-bodied Lenny? So I look at my life as a walker and I was a drug addict for most of it. I've got control of my mind, which I never had as a walker. So for me, I wouldn't take it away. I've learned, I've learned so much more about myself and about life and about gratitude, appreciation, about other people, even blind disabilities that you don't see. So much more that I look at people and understand and listen to them instead of saying, oh, yeah, judgment, she's this or he's that. We'll be like, oh, you know what, they might be going through something. I, I, I definitely, um, I, I really do appreciate my situation in life and how I get to even impact others and get, you know, people reach out as it would. Uh, do the dealing with yourself as well, saying, hey, mate, I really appreciate the last uh, post you did because, you know, what you said about, let's say, your addiction, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a recovering addict or I'm an addict, and, but I just don't have the balls to say what you say. Um, mm. So no, I, I wouldn't have never, ever got that as a walker where now, like I said, I really appreciate my life. I really appreciate my abilities, what I can do. I don't look at what I can't do because you can't do it. What's the point? I just got a little goosebump, man. That's yeah. nice. <laughs> but, mate, and I think one cool thing about, um, your journey as, as you and you've been very modest here, like Angus. Do you know who Patrick Cripps is? The captain of the Carlton Blues and Brownlow yeah, medalist. Well, you're pretty much sitting next to the Patrick Cripps of Australian oh, wheelchair yeah. football. So let's get into that post accident in the chair. You decide to get clean. What did it mean for you to, to find that, I guess, purpose through sport? Yeah, look, so Marcus Sander, which you might know as well, Muzz, uh, he, he was my mentor at, uh, when I was at Caulfield Rehab. And um, so once I discharged and he's like, hey, there's wheelchair footy starting up, you know, do you want to get amongst it? So it was tryouts, you know, over a three-week period and I missed the first one because I was on a bender and then the second <laughs> one because I was on a bender and um, he's rung me up and he's like, like, where the FA? I'm like, oh, mate, you want to believe me? He goes, I don't give a shit. because you tell me you're coming, come, otherwise F off. And I was like, oh, yeah, I promise I'll be there next week. And that was the second last time I used so I played my uh, I played my footy season and I was shambles. I was slow. I was I never played footy. I never I've never handballed a footy. It was always soccer. I'm a wog. So then um, footy was like the season was coming up to an end, and where I was training at the gym, they like I told those guys same thing. I'm very open. This is my history. I'm starting to feel the itch. You know, can we can we put something in place so that way I've got something to work towards after the footy season. They're like, yeah, no problem, let's do a Spartan race. I'm like, done. They go, do you know what it is? I go, I don't care, we're doing it. However, footy season finished, boom, I went on a bender. And that was the last time. 
for someone to have a mentor, you need to have respect for that person. What was it about Marcus that made you want to change? Muzz is like, there's no sugarcoating anything. It's just straight to the point. And I think at that point in my life, that's what I needed because I'd always, you know, I was always able to hide my addiction because of my ADHD until I became really, really, really messed up. But for most of the period, I could hide it. But when with him, and I told him straight up, he was like, and he was Victoria Police, Australian Federal Police, and an Air Marshal for 38 years. Right. So complete opposite side of, you know, of the law where, um, and when we got talking, and I was talking about my military career and, you know, things I had done, and he's talking about his career, and I was like, something that we really connected really well. And me being me, I'm very inquisitive. Oh, how do you tie shoes up? How do you do this? How do you do that? He's like, mate, slow down. You know, you just yeah. went to hospital. It's like one thing at a time. I'm yeah. like, yeah, but I want to know. I'm, I'm Like my mind's going and going. So it just, it was a, you know, he, we spoke a lot. He was very open with me and, you know, and he's a, he's a, he's a tough man, you know, and we, I broke, I break down and cry all the time. I don't, I'm not opposed to crying. It doesn't, you know I mean? I'm happy to have that emotion. Um, and I'll do that in front of him and he'll be all right with it. You know, and it really, it allowed me to be this new me. You've also got your fiance. Yep. Alicia. Uh, your Instagram proposal video is yeah. very, very funny. Um, I'll let you paint the picture of what the video is. And then can you just tell me what did you hoped would happen? <laughs> all right. So I've rung Leisha's mum saying, hey, Rose, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to propose. And she's like, Lenny, stop, you know, stop fooling around. I'm like, no, no, I'm being serious. She's like, Lenny, you don't even have a ring. I'm like, I've had the ring for like four weeks. She's <laughs> like, what? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I can't believe you're actually going to do it. I'm like, 100%. Throughout the day, I was just, I was in my active way um, and I was like, I hopped on the couch to get on my knee and it was fine every single time it worked. Oh, you done, you practiced yeah, getting on one yeah, knee. I, oh, I, that makes the video funnier. Yeah, so I, I kept doing that. And then anyway, so obviously I got changed, you know, I did my hair, got ready and the nerves started kicking in. So we've all finished eating and I'm like, Leish, Leish, the video, actual video goes for about five minutes. I was calling her over for that long and she's like, what do you want? Just leave me alone. I'm trying to get ready. I'm like, babe, just hurry up. I need to, I need to do something. And I'm like on the, on the couch <laughs> and then she's come over and I'm trying to get on my knee and I start spasming. So I've just like buckled and just don't look like I'm in a very comfortable position. And I'm just like, will you marry me? She's like, what? <laughs> Not the answer I was looking for. She's like, no, no. I was like, oh my God, he's saying what? Because I didn't know whether it was going to be that moment of, you know, you trying to get on one knee and yeah, like that being like this moment or it's like you just knew you were never going to be get able on one <laughs> knee and it's just like that's the humour in it. I didn't, nah, it's, nah. Funny, it's funny it's <clears throat> funny now, I think. 100%. And for people who are watching this on Instagram and YouTube, uh, we'll put the video here so you can check it out. But um, I think it's even funny now with the context yeah, that you tried to get on one knee because that's really funny. Yeah. I was and on, you practised it. I practised. Yeah. I was on YouTube and like, oh, um, you know, a guy in a wheelchair proposing on one knee. It was like every guy's like, can I, like kind of just like just giving him in. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I want... I want to try and get on my knee. And then when I did it, or when I tried to do it, it was just like, no, it's a big fail. I'm glad you said yes, but imagine trying to get on one knee, falling over, and then saying no. That would have been real fail. <laughs> that would have, that, just that would leave, leave me TikTok. here. Would have been off on TikTok, yeah. Hey, mate, why, why Lish? Why is she the one? Um, we, so during uh, the lockdowns, I was on uh, DK's podcast. DK's my trainer, my PT, absolute weapon. His name's Danny Kenny. He's a beautiful man and um, we did some work together yeah. and it's so awesome that he's getting around um, other people with disabilities, isn't it? Like, like he trains yeah, people with Yeah, 100%. Really he knows good. so much. He is yeah. a weapon in like knowing, especially our big thing is shoulders. Um, he understands so much about shoulders, how to get transfers, the yeah, stuff oh, like this, so important, triceps. It's funny, like the first time that we started, like uh, when Dylan and I trained, 
to and to where I like the the uh, memories always come up is like I couldn't even transfer to a bench. Well, now it's like DK's like, hang on, man, let me just. I'm like, it's all good, man. I can do it myself. It's all right. Um, but yeah, no, DK, DK's an absolute weapon, and he's been um, massively important in my growth as a you know physically. Um, you know, being able to do what I do with him and having the endurance and the strength to you know do a clean transfer at the end of a long day has been um, you know it's been it's been massive. But yeah, so DK's um, DK's podcast and my cousin's wife Rachel and Alicia are mates. Anyway, so Rachel shared the podcast on her story. And Leisha's reached out saying, hey, look, you know, we don't know each other. We've got a mutual friend in Rachel. I just want to say, um, you know, thank you for posting or thank you for your Instagram, um, you know, because everything that you put out, you know, has really given me a slap in the face that I needed. And then my response was, I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you? I go, let's go for a walk so I'm kicking the ass. Hmm. And, she, I go, and then I said, I go, just saying, I go, my legs don't work so I won't actually be kicking you. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, my God, like, you know, you're funny or something like that. And it just... It was. It's literally that where, like, early days, she would forget me in the car, or she would would I'll transfer. Just walk in. off the coals and then yeah. turn around. You're like, oh yeah, <laughs> hello. <laughs> and it'd be like, you know, I, I've transferred in, and she's got to put the chair in the boot, and she comes and buckles in. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, well, I'm like the wheelchair babe. She's like, oh crap, you know, sorry. And it's just, it's that. Like, she doesn't. She's never ever um, made me feel extra special because I'm in a wheelchair, and she hasn't. You know, I mean, she doesn't. She hasn't made a big deal about anything. She just treats me as you should be treated as a, you know. As Lenny, uh, no, no special treatment. Like if I don't ask for help, she's not going to help me. Mm. She's like, you need to use yeah. your voice. If you're tired and sore, you need to say, "Hey, Lisa, can I have a hand?" Where she, you know, so yeah, for that, it's been her family's really good. Everything's just you know, everything happened really organically, and it's just it's grown to be that. We spoke yeah. about this before the podcast, so I know you're comfortable talking about this. Yep. But um, when it comes to starting a family, yep. was that something Walker Lenny was interested in? Is it something? you're interested in as we sit here today and it is it something that your partner wants as yeah. well was that the discussion you had yeah so uh, prior to the chair obviously with the drugs and whatnot i always thought i would have kids but i was never obviously in a right frame of mind to actually bring up a child in that state of mind leash was always kind of iffy about having children and then once we got together it was something that we both spoke about we're like we're gonna do this she's like yeah let's do it and then she's like, you know, why don't you, you know, why haven't you said you want to have kids? I'm like, babe, it's something for you and I. I don't want to put all this pressure on you and then you feel like you have to do it because I'm saying it. Mm. I go, I know I want kids. If you know you want kids, then it's going to come up. So it's perfect timing. Like we just started our IVF journey. Um, you know, we've got a good good amount of embryos and we just got our genetic testing back yesterday that they're all good. Yeah. So, yeah, we're in, we're in a good boat at the moment. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's sick. Thank you. Yeah. How good's technology where you can actually do that these no, days? Oh, man. You know, we're for, so, for, lucky. For, mm. so, so I, lucky. I, I, I might have to use IDF, might not, I'm not sure. But, yeah, same thing. Like, And even mm. just the – unfortunately, one thing that needs to come down is the cost, isn't it, brother? You know what I mean? Because yeah, it can it's, be costly just come on the people, PBS, man. Yeah, you can. That's what I mean. It's great now yeah. that there's more yeah. opportunities for all people with all kinds of um, disabilities yeah. to get around it. Okay. How are you feeling about being a dad? Are you worried about being a dad in a love wheelchair? Love it, man. Absolutely just- love it. I actually cannot wait to have kids. I cannot wait to have kids, and I just keep looking around, seeing other kids and whatnot. It's just, I don't know, it just fills me up with so much joy. It's magical. Yeah, it and is. one of the hardest things about being a parent is changing a bad diaper. I change my own all the time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you can just do them both at the same time. That's all good. Brilliant. Yeah, More Alicia now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I remember Jamin Hudson, um, who's a, a photographer in Perth. I remember he's like. One of the things is I can't reach the change table. It's like <laughs> sort of a blessing. 
Bowl of uncomfortable time. We both have a bowl um, of uncomfortable question. Pre that. Pre that. Wheelchair AFL, how the hell do you play that? Give us the rules and the breakdown because I want to promote that because there would be that many people listening and go, wheelchair AFL, what, what are you talking about? So wheelchair footy is um, it's based on a basketball court. So you've got five aside. Um, you've got goals as normal. So a hand pass is essentially a kick, so it's a mark, and then an underarm throw is a handball, so it's a play on. Um, you play with the netball structure as, you know, you can only play in your two-thirds as a centre can go anywhere. The defenders go, you know, the front third and then the, the uh, forwards go in the two front third, uh, the back third, sorry. Look, the sport, and I'm going to be completely honest here, I don't feel the sport's growing enough. I'm, I'm not a fan of of people without an injury playing the sport because it keeps out the people with injuries playing. Oh, so you're saying there's able-bodied people yep. who are playing the sport? Yeah, and I like, and, and mm. you know, it's and this is something that this is my opinion. hot take. Yeah, this is this is my opinion. I just feel like I've spoken to so many other young kids that haven't gone out to play the sport because they're afraid they won't get a bit of a run. The reason um, I didn't the know that they, also that you, I, I could jump in the chair and play against you. Either. That, okay. Do you know why it starts like that, Gus? <clears throat> just because they need more numbers initially. Wheelchair basketball, when I started, you play that local comp alone. I had people play just to create numbers. But once it mm. reaches a tipping point where there's enough players, I'm with you, Land. You can then have purely people with disability. And it looks like yeah. we're at that tipping point pretty soon. Is that right? Because there's enough teams. It's enough there, players. man. I, I, yeah, it's there. Like, I, I left the game uh, to try and improve my basketball. I'm still training for it. I would, I would love to make uh, like the National League for basketball and then obviously trying to get the Paralympics or the World World Championships. It was just one of those things where I had to stop footy for that purpose. All right, let's get into the bowl of uncomfortable. Lenny, you know what the bowl is? No. It is a question that gets sent <laughs> wait, to us wait, wait, by listeners. Wait, wait. Or... Lenny, you know what the bowl is? No. <laughs> That's great. Big fan of the, big fan of, big fan of the podcast. Love it. Love it. <laughs> How many of our 60 episodes you got to? Oh, all of them, just not the end. That's so funny. Uh, Normally it cuts out. <laughs> this is an anonymous question from Facebook. Uh, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe, guys. Lenny, if a young person with disability were to label you a role model, would you feel comfortable with that title, seeing as your story involves illegal activity? Yes, of course, because everyone, just because my past is a part of me doesn't mean that you can't improve and change. I was, um, I'll say I was judgmental in the past about, um, about other people because I was, you know, doing the wrong thing. But you know what? You can't pick to be an addict. It's something that, unfortunately, it just does happen over time. And I wasn't in control of what happened with my addiction. I definitely own my addiction. But you know what? When you can see the change in someone, that's when you know what's possible and that's when you can be a role model because not everybody has, you know, a silver spoon to be brought up with. So, no, definitely. I think a role model is anyone that can be positive and impact on that person, whoever they're trying to role model. This kind of goes into my bowl of uncomfortable, which was sent through by a listener. When you first became disabled, did you feel in that moment that that was karma and deserved because of the bad things you were doing in, in your able-bodied life? You know what? I, I was always, why me, why yeah. me? And then it got to a point when I started to get a little bit more spiritual and started thinking about what's happened. And for me, in, in everything that happens, like for me to get my disability was um, the radiologist, 2014, she missed the tumour. My surgeon had multiple different options and he chose the one that caused the paraplegia. And then it was like, you know what, I, was, I cheated on my ex-girlfriend, I lied, 
So then it was like, you know what, the universe was like, we're going to take a few things away from you and let's see how you take the second opportunity. And it was just like, you know what, yeah, it is that karma and it's, you know, what you can, what you make about it. You can go become sour and, you know, blame, 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 or you can make the thing a positive and, you know, smile about it. What a great attitude. You know, you learned a lot of lessons and you wouldn't take back the person who sits in the chair and, you know, we wouldn't have you any other way in this podcast, mate. It's Cheers, been man. it's been enlightening. It's been awesome. And um, thank you so much for, yeah, the vulnerability is, is huge. To come onto a platform like ours and to speak so openly about your addiction uh, and also your mistakes. Yep. You know, you've got to learn from your own mistakes, but sometimes people get the opportunity to learn from others. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. My pleasure. Land, I and I do know a Paralympic basketball gold medalist. If you need any tips, I'll be able to help you out. That's him, by the way, <laughs> if you didn't know. We appreciate you coming on, brother. Thank you, mate. Pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Listen Able, and that's it for the year. Uh, Dylan and I are going to be at Beyond the Valley on December 29th at the podcast stage with Auslan Interpreters Accessible. If you have disability and you want to come along to the festival, we'll be there uh, doing two episodes with two incredible guests. But uh, over the summer, we will be back of sorts. We're doing an episode of Listen Able Kids. Uh, We had the opportunity to connect with three youngsters with disability and let them communicate with each other about their disabilities, school life, and it kicks off uh, episode one on January 9th. It's a Monday, so if you subscribed, you won't miss out. Um, In the meantime, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas to you and yours, and uh, Dylan will see you in 2023. See you, everyone.